Welcome, one and all, friends and family, strangers on the internet, to V'ger, please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Welcome back, Peter, to the lovely confines of the state of Ohio. How was Dragon Con? Dragon Con was excellent, and I'm sad to have to be back in the real world. Anybody out there listening, if you get a chance to bust off and go do a Dragon Con, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I was drunk a lot, and it was just a bunch of nerds, and uh, it's it's hard to conceptualize and, and put into words how good it is, but Dragon Con is the con you go to if you want to make every other convention that you have the opportunity to go to seem like trash comparatively. I, uh, I, I've, this is not your first one, and so you've told me about your adventures there in the past, of course, and you you say it's basically a high quality roving nerd drunk tank for four days. Yeah, if you take the movie that Ready Player One was supposed to be and you make it not garbage, um, okay, and keep all the pop culture references, that's that's pretty much Dragon Con. And uh, we talked about it a little bit over the last two episodes we filmed. That's actually my third one, not my second one. And at the uh, insistence of my wife, who did not go, I actually did hit up those Star Trek panels we were discussing. I did. Yes. Good. <laughs> I'm glad Casey could come through for me where you were like wavering. I'm gl- Yes. Good. Tell me. A- how was that experience, Peter? Tell me more. They were good. Uh, I went to the Jason Isaacs one, which was cool. I, I forgot that he was in um, Event Horizon. And it was yeah. interesting to see him, you know in this panel he's of course also you know in addition to playing lork on uh discovery he also plays uh, lucius malfoy and i figured just all be a bunch of harry potter questions coming in from the audience and it wasn't which was very surprising and then i did uh discovery panel they had uh, two of the klingons your favorite uh, adam or uh, admiral cornwall and, and jason isaacs it's funny because all these people in these conventions, right? They're all like, yeah, I'm a nerd too. And here's my nerd cred and all this other stuff. And she was like a deer in headlights. <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that at all, given her performance. But it was kind of deer in the headlights, you know, even when she's uh, practicing her craft. But go on. And then I went to the, the Star Trek alumni one. And that was Garrett Wang and Duncan McNeil. And what's his name? Ethan Phillips. Is that Neelix? Yeah, that's Neelix. And then uh, old John DeLance Q, which was amazing because all of these guys, especially now on this episode, are Voyager alumni. And as I'm sitting here watching this all for the first time, this is all very, very fresh. And these people are extremely relevant in my life right now. So watching them up on uh, the stage as a bunch of old vets just sitting there shooting the shit was awesome. For all the shit we give Garrett Wang, not being the best actor, that dude is cool as fuck. And apparently he runs like the entire Dragon Con Star Trek programming schedule and has for a while. And I'd say he does a great job. But if he could be as cool <laughs> or as collected as he is in character as um, Kim, as he is out of character in real life, I think we'd have a, a much better product in our hands. But all of those guys were awesome. Neelix specifically, super cool guy. And any of the any of the flack and shit that we've given Snarf Snarf lately, like this dude just magically whisked out of the picture with a flick of his wrist and some of the stories that they were telling from the set. Uh, a couple I wanted to throw out there just as uh, some things to think. Well, first, before I get into the, the Star Trek panels, I do want to say I did pop that original series shirt on and do mm-hmm. some uh, some Star Trek costuming. Mm hmm. There is Starfleet all over the place at Dragon Con. It has to be like the the number one costume you see. And it's funny because you can look around and see like the real dirty nerds who are rocking like next gen or trying to do, you know, the the uh, first contact uniforms. And the, the next gen uniforms just never look good in real life. And they certainly don't look good yep. not being several thousand dollar, you know, rubies or whatever manufacturing is. So when you see the original series guys, you're kind of like, all right, these guys get it. They're here just to look at boobs and drink or whatever. But uh, we were at a rave. It's like 3 a.m. Nate and I are there and we're just we're both blasted. And we always kind of like we we don't just let things go when we see it. We'll we'll grab people and drag them into our bullshit. I'll catch uh, 
I'll catch Starfleet out there and, you know, remind them that uh, you got to report for duty at 0400 or whatever. And people are like, well, what? So we're sitting there joking about our own. <laughs> you take it in character, man. You can, the, oh, yeah. You, the LARPer can leave the LARP, but the LARP doesn't leave him. Oh, yeah. I get it's, a, it. it's a full immersion. So we're sitting there and uh, we're already keyed up and we're a bottle of tequila in. And this dude rolls up and he's got this white robe with the Superman uh thing in you know which is hope in kryptonian and this dude's uh what was a uh, superman's dad's name was it jor-el or kal-el jor-el right? jor-el yeah it was jor-el so this dude's got a jor-el outfit and he rolls up to us and he's ripped and we're just kind of talking our own thing and i think he thought i was going to catch us flat footing he's like where was your vaunted federation when my planet was being destroyed he didn't know what he walked into right right so we spin on our heel and like Look, buddy, you don't pay the dues when they're due, and I don't want to hear about it when your son's uh, about to explode or or the you know the xenomorphs are dragging in here. You pay to play, and we all had a a, a real good laugh, and uh, I thought that was one of the better stories to come out of the next year. The, so the, the lesson here is: if you run into Peter at an event, you best be ready for some icy interaction, no matter what kind of nerd you're flashing. Yeah. And and B, apparently 23 years later, all the dudes from Voyager are pretty cool, certainly cooler than their fucking characters were. So, yeah. So, like, let me lay out a couple of things. And I think it's going to frame a lot of what we've talked about on Voyager and what we will talk about on Voyager. Um, it was John DeLance that really brought it up in the forefront because um, people were asking about, like, improving and this and that. Uh, apparently that was heavily frowned upon on all of the sets following next gen and all of the actors there seemed to take a pretty big beef with how controlling the atmosphere and the environment was on the set. There was no deviation off the script. And it was actually Neelix who told a, a pretty insightful story. One of the early episodes we already did, he tucked some little kid and then he had like a little stuffed animal dinosaur. And he's like, Oh, good night, Mr. So-and-so sir. And they call cut. And he's like, what? And they're like, sir's not in the script and he's like oh well should i not use it like well do you want to use it And he's like yeah seems like something neelix would say so they put the whole production on hold go to a phone on the wall that's a direct line to the writer's room and they spend the next 20 minutes debating whether or not sir should be on the end of the sentence they get approval they reshoot the scene with sir and he's like and that was the last time i ever tried to improv on that and uh jesus yeah and I mean, that's holy shit. That really does illustrate how fucking straightjacketed these guys were to just do line readings. Holy fuck. Yeah. And I mean, it was everybody like, you know, we would read through this stuff and a lot of the, the scripts, it was very clear that nobody ever actually said this stuff aloud in the writer's room. The syntax would be terrible, you know, be impossible to, to get the right inflections. And we would try to, to, you know, work around it. And it was just this ironclad, you stick to the script or there's going to be problems. And, you know, we knew what we were doing sounded stupid coming out of our mouth and everybody around us knew, but that was the marching orders and that's how you had to play it out. And Holy fuck that. And you know what? How many times have we talked about how the writing seemed so weird and awkward and it made it's, this is just confirmation of what I think we've like felt, you know? I got up and I asked a couple questions. Um, one of his replies, he got sidetracked to talking about, oh, I think it was, uh, yeah, just scenes and, and good stuff that ended up on the editing room floor. He said that uh, apparently they filmed a scene that at the end of Kess's run where Neelix and Kess break up and they actually really flesh out uh, what the true nature of their relationship was. Was it platonic? Was it something more? Why were they separating? And they flesh all this stuff out and just never put it in the episode huh and stupid me i didn't ask well hey you know what was the results all that stuff um the other question i asked i was like uh hey <laughs> uh i just watched the episode a couple you know nights ago with uh that frakes directed with the space muppet baby <laughs> and uh instantly paris is chuckling but i'm like you had some really bad effects in there like those stupid robot guys and then some really awesome looking stuff like the space muppet that just kind of was almost like a sore thumb for how good it was you know what was the coolest practical effect you guys saw on the set so neelix doesn't even remember the episode at all and it's funny because uh you know duncan 
points him out. I was like, dude, that's always the one you say was your favorite episode. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, I loved it. I just uh, I just don't remember it. But then <laughs> but then Paris is like, so we were doing uh, what's oh, a holodeck thing he's going to get into doing the captain. Oh, Captain Proton. Yes. He had nothing but good stuff to say about that. And one of the things that got a big reaction out of the crowd was him like, you know, I get that there's not going to be more Voyagers. They're never going to do movies. But with the CBS all access thing and they're already doing like little 10 minute vignettes in the background, it's like, I think it'd be cool if we got the Voyager cast together to do some Captain Proton stuff, which sounds pretty cool. But he's like, so they had me up in this uh, jetpack that was supposed to fly and whoosh me off in the air. And they're like, hey, it's not a big deal. It's just going to be a couple sparklers jammed in this backpack for just a real cheesy effect or whatever. And we've got, you know, fire retardant pants. You're going to be cool. He's like, so I'm up there suspended 15 feet up in the air and they kick these things on. And all of a sudden my pants are on fire around my ass and crotch. <laughs> and I'm yelling, but everybody thinks I'm just waving my hands around like I'm trying to swim and fly. But my ass was on fire. So that was my favorite practical effect, which, uh, yeah, real solid semen guy. And uh, I feel I feel bad for some of the flack we've given the guys, especially in light of the stories that, you know, all of them uh, have a very airtight alibi that it's just it was a bad artistic environment. Well, you know, it puts in context so much of what we said. And now we know. Now we know. And I, I look forward to you experiencing those Captain Proton episodes. You'll see why everyone likes them so much. It It definitely features the best holodeck episode in all of Star Trek. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, for today, we've got season two, episode 18, Death Wish. We do. This is an episode that's like a Trojan horse to me because there's a lot going on with it that I really like because anytime you get John Delancey in something, chances are it's going to be way better than has any you know reason to be. I mean, fuck, I I love John Delancey so much. I watched that god awful soft reboot of Torchwood that was on stars because he was in it. Uh, he's just solid gold. And when he shows up as Q, it's always a treat. But this like lays the seeds of future disappointment and destruction in a way that I simply cannot shake. And uh, those low points when they come. It's just that it's just it's a kick in the balls that, you know, is coming. This episode to me is exactly what we've been saying about the past couple episodes like Dreadnought, where, hey, we want a thing and we don't care what stupid path we have to get there to make it happen. We want a Q episode and we want to start pulling back the curtain a little bit on the continuum. I don't care what stupid little story we have to tell to make it happen. Just do it. And that right there, that what you just said, I want to pull the curtain back on the Q continuum. That's where this episode fucks itself into the dirt because everything they do after this, well, this was not bad in my opinion. I, I think I liked it more than you, especially just rewatching it. Everything that happens after this with the Q is so much worse because of what this sets up. But let's talk about the episode before us first. Did this Q event take place before or after his first appearance on ds9 this takes place after well after how many did he get on ds9 just the one so it goes all good things where he ends up on a good point and then whatever happens in ds9 and then he comes back in with this and then how many more come after this yeah so the ds9 episode Culus, that's really doesn't have much to do with ds9 it's more just about uh q and vash and just happens to take place on DS9. And then it's this and two other episodes that he shows up in later so on. So it's a trilogy? Pretty much. And the next one that is Q-focused is probably one of the worst episodes of Voyager, period. And it's everything bad about this episode amplified in a way that is infuriating. So we start this bad boy off uh, with some bad CG of a comet that uh the bridge crew is tracking and there's some new materials in here and you know the scientist federation decides that they're just gonna beam some of that stuff up on the ship to check it out jingwei's uh, got a real science boner like yeah. she's super excited like oh this is some shit we don't know let's beam it onto our fucking ship let's do it they send down torres to the transport room because 
whoever they have working in the transporter room at any given moment is not ever capable of transporting. You always need to have Balan in there. She beams it in after erecting a uh, force field around it. And, you know, good job on on Balana for once not beaming something directly an inch away from the warp core. And that's it's a breaking Starfleet protocol. Apparently just that's she's going to have that on her next service review. That's yeah, at Maquis life. So she gets up the security field and instead of beaming a chunk of rock in, there is a Federation Starfleet captain. This guy quickly just kind of walks through the force field and says, Hey, I'm Q. I'm going to use that one a lot. Uh, <laughs> he's I, I, I refer to him as dirtily Q because he's kind of like a dirtily dude. I had to check him out. So this is Garrett Graham. And I looked him up because my assumption is that this guy was a voice for Winnie the Pooh in one of the Disney adventures. Because <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Q, I think is going to be what we need to call him. Oh, so much better. Yes, it's Winnie the Q. Yes, that's who he is. In fact, this guy's got some other cool stuff under his belt, including a uh, appearance on one of my favorite shows, Weird Science. And also, back to back with Meld here, he is also a Child's Play alumni. I just watched his death scene on YouTube. He gets killed with a fireplace poker. Jesus Christ, what is with people getting work on Voyager after doing horror movies? Oh, that's the other cool story. Ethan Phillips, Neelix, he talked about... uh, He's buddies with Brad Dourif, who played Lon Saunders, and uh, he actually lobbied. He told a pretty cool story about how they had dinner together. He's like, look, man, you should be on this uh, Star Trek Voyager thing with me. And they're like, yeah. So that was Neelix who psycho solders on the on the Voyager to to pipe crack some dudes. Hey, you know what? It was an overall good choice. The guy was was born to play a fucking serial killer with those cheekbones. So as we will discover uh, this particular Q hasn't seen anyone in 300 years, mm-hmm. yet he, he comes onto the ship already in a Starfleet uniform. Current edition. That was my number one complaint. <laughs> a modern Starfleet uniform and already knowing everything about everyone's backstory. I can attribute this guy to having like ascendant level telepathy, right? That he should just be able to look at a lesser light form and just read these people's minds like an open book that's that wasn't the the head scratcher to me it was the affinity that q are always going to show up or you would think q would always show up wearing whatever the highest ranked officer is in their vicinity and i could get that if that was like a thing but if you jump back to next gen when q gets his power stripped q2 so this guy's technically like what q3 i believe well, I mean, yeah, if you want to you be technical, I think he's the third Q, yeah, so Q character we've ever seen. Sure. When when Q2 showed up to, you know, admonish uh, Q Prime, he's wearing like uh, that ugly ass gray skin tight leotard. Yeah, human Q outfit was bad. Yeah. But anyways, it was a real head scratcher that he just came out knowing exactly, you know, the, the uniform to wear. And then again, to be able to, to have uh, omnipotence of every, you know, all knowledge around him yet still have to ask some very obvious questions like, oh, you thought that I was, uh, you know, Q1, I see. That's that's a apprehension. And so it's like sometimes he knows everything, but then he has to talk to the audience and not. Yeah, or he doesn't know that everyone's mortal. And I honestly don't agree that Qs are like instantly telepathic of everyone. I, I think that if you were to take that logic, then this entire episode would be completely pointless. Um, but I'll, I'll approach that in a second. What we find out is this this uh, Winnie the Q uh, was imprisoned on this asteroid. And as he reveals in dialogue to Janeway and more crew members after that, as he kind of bamps everyone around and tries to give Janeway her favorite dinner and some other stuff as a thank you, is that uh, he was imprisoned because he's uh, trying to kill himself. He's now free. He's very happy to be free. And he's decided he's going to give it another try to kill himself. He gives a botched little uh, farewell message, you know, to these people who don't know who he is and starts to try and will himself out of existence. And then he accidentally murders all of the men on the ship. He does. And I'm going to ask you a question right here because they will ultimately be reborn. And whatever murder 
swoop he like murder spell he uses it's heavy because he's like oh damn i didn't mean to do that and he cannot undo it which tells you it's some pretty powerful magic that he's working with here when these guys are eventually put back together by uh q1 do they have souls joe or the just- <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that question. I was just was going to lay back in the cut and wait for Peter to drop the soul bomb. And here we are. We're at the place I, I expected to be. And so I have an answer for you, Peter. I have a hot take. My answer is that that these particular versions of all of the men on the ship uh, do have souls because as we have seen with Picard – in his episode where he's having his near-death experience and Q is taking him on a It's a Wonderful Life tour of his past mistakes, that the Q have some sort of intersectional ability in toying with life and death and the soul. So if John Delancey Q reinstituted all of the men on the ship, I think not only do they all have souls, but their souls have been retroactively reapplied in the case of the soulless ones. I will agree to your line of reasoning. And I will uh, hereby officially, V'ger, please reinstate Chakotay, Kim, and Tuvok's souls. Hey, yay, good for them. Round of applause. I'd whistle. That's good. Place. Yeah, that's great. Except for Garrett Wang. He's Asian. Asian people don't have souls. <laughs> Come on, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett Wang, I do hope you eventually somehow stumble through our, our podcast, being the big nerd you clearly are. I hope you're able to get through us beating you over the head repeatedly. And I hope you get to the, the nice things I said about you at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> 32 episodes in, we finally compliment the guy. You know, he actually has his own podcast. It's called the alpha quadrant. He does it with the guy who played Nog, Aaron Eisenberg. Well, fuck yeah, man. Let's give him a listen. I'll, I'll listen to that. It can't be any worse yeah. than the other fucking Voyager podcast floating around that. I wasted my, I, obviously, you know, it has to be better because, Apparently, Garrett Wang's a cool guy. And maybe Aaron Eisberg gives everyone some bicep tips or something. I will take those shit. bicep tips to heart. So let's talk about, you know, the big elephant in the room right now. The premise of Voyager is that Voyager is fucked. Voyager is dealing with a problem that lasts seven seasons. And that problem is how do we get home? All the other episodes, they're just doing their day in, day out grind. Uh, you know, business is normal. No greater objectives needed. Q at one point even gives. Let's let's not forget. Q made Riker a Q, you know, and Riker was so comfortable in his life that he's like, nah, fuck it. I don't need this. Voyager, on the other hand, is stuck a lifetime away from everybody they love and know. Voyager has at times been so desperate to try and get home that it violates the prime directive, Starfleet protocol, all the crazy stuff that we've seen over the past two seasons. And now here we have a being of omnipotence who is grateful, who knows exactly what uh, Janeway's favorite food is, pheasant or duck or something, the way her grandma or grandfather used to make it. And the, the most obvious conclusion is you want to thank these people. You just flick your wrist and now this ship is home and, and that's that. And I see the danger in bringing Q into Voyager because unlike DS9 and unlike Next Gen, he's got something they want. And, and really, if you're a Starfleet captain, you know, one of the themes we see a lot is Prime Directive's fine and dandy until you are fighting for the survival of not only the lives on your ship, but the you know the the fate of your entire species q's always been this funny thing because it's like in the back of every starfleet captain's mind who knows about it wouldn't q be the nuclear option of getting down on your hands and knees and begging this guy with a flick of his wrist to pull the borg off of earth or bring your crew back to life or move your ship back into the alpha quadrant where some other malevolent not malevolent but you know some other oh yeah god powered creature whisked you away unfairly in the first place just like how picard had to beg him to get loose from the borg the very first time they met like let me um take this moment now to go on my first rant about this episode there's a lot i like about it like john delance is hilarious in a lot of this it's his performance is very enjoyable to watch what this episode does is one of the original sins of Voyager that people fucking hate this show for. 
And it's that it over fucking explains the mysterious to the point where it makes it not interesting. Yes. They most notoriously do this to the Borg. Everyone knows about how they do this to the Borg because they spend so much fucking time doing it to them. But people forget they did it to the fucking Q, too. In my opinion, that's even less defensible because let's roll the tape back to TNG, right? And all of our experiences with Q. Q is a trickster god type of figure that is like a omnipotent scientist who is sort of experimenting with humanity. And he's trying to make it evolve and grow. And he doesn't really care if he breaks it a little bit or makes it uncomfortable if he succeeds in getting it to understand. And Picard being essentially a representation of the perfect human being uh, from an intellectual and and moral and let's face it, sexual standpoint (laughs) is the perfect point of his interaction of trying to test humanity. And so all the shit that we see him do, all of his interactions with them, including the bookends of the show itself between Encounter at Farpoint and all good things, is this grand test, right? But we don't fucking know anything about the continuum, really. We we know that Q is one of many other Q, but what is his purpose? Why is he doing this? Is he just doing it to be an asshole? Or, as the ending suggests, does he have a greater purpose and is he testing humanity for that purpose the entire time? And does the test ever end? And then this fucking episode reduces the queue to a, a couple of fucking clowns turning each other into fucking uh, uh, subatomic particles and Christmas ornaments. And on top of that, over explains what the continuum is to the point where now we know too fucking much about who these people are and what their limitations are. And they're no longer nearly as fucking interesting or scary or as mysterious as they were before much to the detriment of the canon of Star Trek in general and the characters that are used. You are absolutely correct. And I call this personally the drow treatment when writers of a property. Yes. Something. Yes, 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 yes. Go on. They make something and there's just enough mystery there to make it cool, but they're scary and it's a great boogeyman. Uh, they did the same thing with the Sabbat and the Black Hand and Asimites and all these things that are originally made to be like NPC boogeymen, right? And they say, oh, this has really good traction and I want to sell more products. So I'm going to make a in-depth encyclopedia about all of this stuff. And everybody's going to buy because everybody wants to know about the drow. Everybody wants to play a drow. Everybody wants to play a Asimite, Black Hand, Sabbat, dude, whatever. And they just put so much light on it. And now you have something that its core tenant should have been mystery. You've stripped that away and you are left with a inferior mainline product because it was never designed to be that. Fucking yes. A hundred percent. Absolutely hitting the nail on the head. So that's the fucking original sin. And it sucks because, Oh God, I love, I love John DeLance. I've said that like four or five times already. Mm-hmm. And then Q is like the perfect asshole. He shows up. He's immediately hitting on Janeway. Oh, yeah. Like this this episode is all about some, some Q and Janeway, you know, sexy time. I mean, he straight up checks her ass out. He He winds up in her bedroom at one point. He he wastes no time getting to, into his antics, and I would say he integrates well around the new crew, pushing all the wrong buttons. So uh, after Winnie the Q screws up trying to kill himself, and he kills all of the men on the ship, and then has to admit to Janeway that he's really rusty, and he's sorry he just, uh, you know, willed everybody out of existence, and he doesn't know how to fix it. Uh, Q1 shows up and says, this guy's a problem. That's why we had him in prison. You just popped him out, which let's stop right there. If you're the Q and you're imprisoning the most dangerous threat to your entire organization, why are you putting him in an asteroid just cruising around? Q's like, oh my gosh, uh, humans shouldn't have been in the Delta Quadrant for another hundred years. What, you're telling me the fucking Skeevians and the Vidians and the turtle Ninja Turtles and the shithead? No, nobody else could find this? meteor floating around where you've got your most dangerous 
Flaherty. Um, and, and that specific line and a number of other lines in this episode, I guess you could chalk it up to time being irrelevant to a species that can travel at will through all of space and time. It's basically a Doctor Who problem. But if they're not if if the whole premise of the episode is that uh, Winnie the Q is bored with being immortal because he's seen everything and done everything. Are, are we saying through this dialogue that time and space change uh, because, you know, the caretaker moved Voyager to the Delta Quadrant and therefore now things are different and that which case things would be different, in which case immortality wouldn't be so unbearable because there's constant changes to the space time continuum based on things that people do. Like this, my mind starts to fucking unravel as I try to unpack the, bullshit logic that they tried to use to repel this plot which goes back to what you said earlier they start getting in a, a dick comparing contest as to who can you know move the other person away and eventually winnie the q says i can't get rid of q because we're equal power but i'm gonna start hiding us at the beginning of time and in some cow's stomach and on a christmas tree ornament i did think the christmas tree ornament was kind of clever though because you know star trek starship Christmas ornaments are a big thing. You know, they reach this stalemate and uh, ultimately they decide that to resolve this issue instead of playing hide and go seek for millennium, that uh, the all powerful Q continuum is going to put the fate of uh, its future in the hands of a starship captain of no real importance. Yeah, it's it's stupid. So yeah, it's 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 dumb that they agree to do this, because if you accept the premise that they it, it's like you said they decided to do this because that way the plot happens yes which which because i like a lot of the courtroom scene discussion it's like i want to forgive it because i think that's where some of the best content of the episode comes from yes but it is a rather ridiculous that q prime would readily agree to having random captain that aside from checking her ass out doesn't really know who this lady is uh say yeah that's fine we'll let we'll let her determine the future of the q continuum seems legit go back in time go back to encounter at farpoint and remember how terrifying q was the judge coming down on a pedestal with his coked up security guards shooting machine guns into the crowd putting all of humanity on trial and now he's letting again the the future of the q continuum be decided by one piddly little human of no consequence there's three components to this episode for me there's three things that they wanted to do well, the first thing was get q on the ship for an episode the second thing was to explore the death wish and the suicide morality quandary of winnie the q create this the silly courtroom motif for the episode to explore that moral dilemma. And the third thing is to start fleshing out the lore of the continuum and, and putting the spotlight on it. I think the first two parts of that are stupid. And I was able to swallow those pills because them talking about the Q continuum was cool, but then you take a step back and again, you look at the drow treatment and how they in in giving you a neat episode of showing behind the curtain, they destroy the very thing that, you know, they're talking about because that mystery is gone forever. I disagree with you a little bit. Obviously, I agree on the the we'll call it the drow treatment. I liked the discussion about the consequences of immortality. And the consequences of an entire species becoming, for all intents and purposes, all-knowing, all-powerful, and immortal. What does that mean for the individual? What happens to the individual's feelings and rights, and where does that intersect with now their feeling of obligation towards this, this static feeling? And I think they could have stopped right fucking there yep. and not taken that extra step with the last 15 minutes and started peeling back way too much mystery about the Q continuum. Stop with the philosophical discussion about the nature of life, death, immortality, and the boredom that comes with having done it all and 
you know, call it there and not start going into all this fucking deep lore about the Q, which ultimately limits them and makes them less interesting. You're right. And I will say that the, you know, the stupid courtroom stuff, I enjoy the conversations that are a byproduct of it, but it's just the entire framework of the episode of being Q and the continuum agreeing to be judged by yeah. by Janeway is just so stupid. I mean, it's right up there with Dreadnought in this uh, yeah. force the plot to happen and just, you know, swallow it down, ignore president or whatever. Uh, I want to talk real quick. Their mouths. Has Q always had like purple black mouth and lips? I did not. I, I did. I did not notice that. But actually, now that you mention it, Stevie did. Yeah, that John DeLance was rocking some some strange lip gloss or something. It's like a it's like a dead tone. And actually, now that I think about it, it would be really cool if like the cues actually came off as like a little corpse ish. Uh, but it's it's not a makeup effect that I really remember from next gen. Uh, and, it, you know, I thought I thought it was a pretty welcome touch to give them something alien about their uh, visage. I completely agree with you that um, if it were as intentional, then it's a nice touch to make them just a little off. Yes. But it would be interesting to know if that's true. Um, the The story continues essentially with there's no B plot. So we spend all of our time on the A plot and Winnie the Q gets Tuvok to defend him. And uh, Q prime is essentially representing the continuum on its own. And where they start is with an, uh, a long-form discussion about the impact of a Q having the agency to be able to kill themselves. And the implication that Q Prime gives is that Winnie the Q shouldn't be allowed to kill himself because if all of the members of the Q continuum were to do that, uh, the fragility of the time-space continuum would no longer have that monitor that the Q evidently represent. That isn't exactly how he puts it, but that's what he implies, that there's an obligation to space-time that Q have. And as a consequence, they can't be allowed to kill themselves. But the argument comes across of, hey, um, didn't the Q continuum execute some Q for fucking up? And if so, then it's not death that's the problem. It's agency and death that's a problem. And that seems like less of a problem. Yeah, they killed uh, what Amanda Rogers parents, right? Because she was a Q. That is correct. That is correct. And then were they executed for? Do you remember? They were executed for doing what they did about like deciding to live mortal lives and have a kid without uh, caring about the consequences of doing so. So that right there was like the other you know nail that this episode gets put on the cross with like q prime doesn't really have a good argument once they bring out this like clearly you guys can die you do die and whether it's you deciding someone needs to die or someone who's already been sealed away for 300 years wanting to die you know what's the big what's what's the big deal and and that just kicked the the court debate completely away from Q prime's ability to, to swing in his direction. I would agree. And it's a shame that if uh, they wanted to go down this road of suggesting the Q have a, uh, an obligation to space time that they are trying to uphold that, that maybe wasn't the pitch that Q makes to Janeway later is to say, listen, there's some shit you just don't know about. Yes. And that it's impossible for you to fucking understand mm-hmm. that we are responsible for maintaining and doing. And the whole reason I'm interested in humanity is that y'all have promise for the future of being part of the solution to whatever this problem is. Mm-hmm. And it could have been a whole indication of some other shit going on. Hidden agenda. Absolutely. Some like we're holding off the fucking Cthulhu shit or I don't know, whatever. But Instead, they they tease it and then they go nowhere with it. And instead, they double back around to just that, quite frankly, the Q don't serve a purpose at all except existing, which is where the shit falls off. The wheels fall off and it gets uninteresting. That is a mind blowing argument you just made. All it would have taken for him to say is like, look, you cannot kill yourself. We swore an oath and just leave it at that, that there like you just said, there there is a bigger picture 
that cannot be discussed, that will not be discussed. I know, you know, you, you rag on the J.J. Abrams mystery box, uh, but I think Q politics is the perfect place to play it. And like you said, how cool would it be if all of the Q wanted to cease being existed? They can't let this guy kill himself because everybody wants to go. And yes, maybe they're waiting for humanity to ascend to the point where they can be replaced as these guardians of the galaxy or, or you know, galactic sentinels humanity can take its place and they can finally step back and all die off. I think there's some really cool, deep, uh, deep considerations they could have made there. And as you said, they don't touch on any of that at all. It's a shame. See, I think, I think we, we came up with a better version of this episode like we always do, but see, seeing as it is, uh, the discussion starts to center on the idea of the relief of suffering of immortality is really what Winnie the Q uh, is looking for. Um, there is a, just a stupid ass story time scene where to try and suggest that, you know, the lives of Q matter to humanity in particular, that uh random dude from Woodstock, Sir Isaac Newton and commander Will Riker <laughs> all get flashed onto the vessel. Um, this was just, Basically, a stunt I think they did so they could put Will Riker in the promo. Like, it this was, was just so, like, let's put Frakes in, in his uniform. And he'll be on the uh, on the episode for, like, four or five minutes. Throw his ass on the promo. We're going to get some we're going to get some eyeballs. It was it was cringy. Um, <laughs> Frakes, come on, man. I know you're itching to get that uniform back out, but this is. This is not the way uh, I had no idea he was in this episode. So it was it was a neat surprise because it was completely out of left field. But yeah, they, they called together um, a little evidence panel and really the Isaac Newton thing. Who cares? Woodstock? Who cares? It's all about that Riker. And there's this caveat because Q has, you know, part of the prosecution on this trial wanted to call these witnesses that, you know, he assures them that they will exist in that moment only. And none of the information can be taken back uh, in any capacity. And that, you know, this is a, just a, a bottle interaction, which again, you're Janeway. You're trying to get the ship home. Even if you're not going to suck Q's dick to get him to whisk you back home, throw me a bone, man. At least let Riker know, Hey, we're <laughs> out here. And unlike that ungrateful little shit, Harry Kim, tell people we're alive. Get the fucking juices rolling back there to do something for us. Like, give us a give us an impact on the greater Voyager story. We could say, hey, in this episode, Voyager came ahead just a little bit. But what's the cock in the steam that that uh, Winnie the Q rescued his his Civil War grandpappy and dragged him off the field and and basically made it correct. Yeah, yeah. So he because uh, Winnie the Q rescued great, 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 great Grand Riker, uh, thus William Riker exists. And then as Q points out, this means that the humanity didn't get assimilated by the Borg. I will point out that even though he's only on Voyager for this single scene, Will Riker, he still gives Janeway the sex eye. (laughs) You saw it. Don't act like you didn't see it. He came in with that smooth move. Ah, Captain, Captain Jane. You know, giving her that little first officer maneuver. He wanted to be her number one. I mean, let's let's be real. Well, uh, Q even comments when he appears on Voyager for the first time and he reads Janeway's mind and he says, hey, uh, oh, I always thought that Riker would have got this commission, not you. Of all the next gen characters, second only, I think, to Picard, Riker is the most potent character to bring in because, again, Riker was a Q. Okay, Riker knows this shit inside and out. He has tasted the continuum. He should know anything that's going on here. I mean, I think that he had a chance to make much more of an impact in his interactions here other than a superficial. Oh, you rescued my grandpa. Thank you. Like. He should have went off the deep end, ranting and raving and ranting intimately uh, with everything going on here. Because, again, the guy was a Q. He was a god. He turned it down. 
he's done what this guy's what, what Winnie the Q is is striving for. He has shunned the Q and and turned himself back into a mortal. I thought the more potent uh, display of Q, Winnie the Q's impact on the humanity, not these three people that you know they they brought in there, but the danger he represents. They could have said, "Hey, look, we're not down with this guy killing himself. We're not going to kill him," and he is not capable of killing himself. You saw what happened when he tried to just kill himself. Now he killed all the you know men on your ship. The last time he tried pulling the ship before we put him in the uh, the uh, space jail for three hundred years. Uh, what he incited a, another civil war between the Vulcans and the uh, and there was the a hundred year war between uh, the Klingons and the Romulans or the Vulcans or something. I mean, like, I think that would have been the stronger thing to play here is that Q are incapable of killing themselves. They are not willing to execute him. And this guy, the more and more he tries to kill himself, the worse and worse impact he is going to have on the universe around him. I, I, uh, I'd say thread they don't. They don't really pull on. Uh, they make it clear, however, that uh, Q can be stripped of the powers and made mortal, which we have established. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of their dodge of having to confront it. And I think it's valid. Like, since we know Q can be made to be mortal and there and thereafter, they can die mortal deaths that appear to be accidents, even if they're arranged by the Q. Yeah. Um, that takes away the need to to go down that road we know their powers can be stripped that's all there is to it q actually appears in janeway's uh, office after these scenes are complete and the inevitable thing happens aside from q giving janeway the sex eye so like she needs to be getting real fucking tired of people hitting on her because it's been a long day her ass is getting worn out q puts earth directly on the table and says listen just say that he's got to go back to the space pokey and you you be back home that's what's up we know that's what you want and i will gladly give it to you in exchange for you saying yes because i have senselessly bet the continuum on your decision making so clearly i should bribe you which this is the part where i really fucking don't get and this is also where i think the idea that these guys are all telepathic breaks down Obviously, if they were, he would know that's a bad move because, as he should already know from dealing with Jean-Luc, Starfleet captains are not often bribable, even when you're offering everything that they could possibly want. So, you know, we know what's going to happen. She's not going to take the bribe, but the bribe is ultimately made because you knew this episode had to have it. In fact, I'm pretty sure this bribe and the Riker tease were in the teaser back in 1996. Like they were not trying to hide that these shits were going to happen in this episode. I cannot. I, I I can't take this scene. This is uh this is where the episode's feet are getting crucified to the cross. Okay, so yeah, he you know he puts a sales pitch out there. He's got telepathy. He knows that you know she's probably not going to go for it. And I think ultimately the the main character flaw of Q is his hubris, and that he thinks even though she will probably say no, that she would say yes because it's just too big of a payoff. You know, they play another move later on in the trial. They're like, let's see the conditions where he's been for the past three hundred years, and they show what it's like inside of this meteor, and it's terrible. And she's like, oh, that's basically cruel and unusual. But, uh, you know, what if the continuum just basically puts him under a house arrest or has someone watch him and he's not actually trapped into prison? Q ultimately concedes to that. He says, I knew you weren't going to go for the prison, but, you know, I've spoken with the continuum and we will do a uh, we'll just have someone monitor him and he'll be fine and it won't be a cruel thing. I've made a concession and your trip back home is on the table like. I cannot reconcile in this episode the tremendous opportunity that Janeway has, especially hot on the heels of episodes where they've been attacked by Kazon for weeks on end and have been forced to blow up ship after ship. All of the hard shit, all of the hardship and all of the terrible shit that they have had to endure in the Delta Quadrant and missed opportunities and everything else. And here's a golden ticket home. And all she has to do is prevent a death 
you know, the, the Q who have just toyed with humanity mercilessly, I would say that Starfleet doesn't owe the Q anything. Just give them what they fucking want. Hogan's right here. Jonas is right here. Tuvok and Chakotay and everybody else. That this is terrible fucking Janeway writing. The right way to handle this is have her concede, have her give Q what he wants, and ultimately have Q smile, give her the middle finger, and then zip off. There's no other way to write this episode where you don't want to just strangle the hell out of Janeway other than seize the fucking opportunity to make up for Caretaker, bite the bullet, and do what's necessary to get your people home. It doesn't cost you anything. You're saving a life. It's, it's, I can't take it. Okay. I, I kept wanting to interrupt because I, I sort of disagree with you here because I think this goes back to the fundamental Federation captain morality. And I think what part of the premise of Voyager is, is obviously their intention is to get home, but they keep trying to beat us down with this idea that you know, the Federation ideals are the best and Janeway is correct in her unflinching attachment to those ideas and not compromising on taking a shortcut home uh, that would compromise them. Like it's a moral choice on her part to not take the deal. And th- I'm putting aside from uh, for a moment the idea that that Q wouldn't just stone cold fuck him because whatever, we're dealing with an omnipotent being. So, yeah, that could happen. I think you can come up with justifications for why he would and wouldn't, um, you know, they try to do a little dialogue where, where, uh, Janeway points out that while Q is an asshole in a number of different ways, but he's never been a liar. Is that true? As far as I'm aware, uh, he has never lied directly. He has done lies of omission. He's tricked people. He's never reneged on an agreement, I think, is more to the point. He's honored every agreement. Yes. And granted, I, I was willing to go ahead and say, yeah, he, he tends to keep his word just because, you know, otherwise what's keeping him from being an unrestrained lunatic. But, you know, Janeway is supposed to be a exemplar of a Federation officer and a Starfleet captain. And Starfleet captains don't take bribes and they don't impugn their judgment that affect other people's lives, even if it's for the benefit of their own crew. It was just like last week in Dreadnought when she's going to like blow her blow herself up in the ship to stop that missile from blowing up people she's never met because I'm a fucking Starfleet captain. This is a Starfleet vessel and there's a couple million of these, you know, lizard aliens who are going to die if I don't do this. So I'm doing it because that's how we roll. And I appreciate that. I think that that's admirable. I just think that, unfortunately, there's a lack of practicality when it would be more suitable. And therefore, these moments come off as less sincere and less earned when they happen. I think that's the issue. Sacrificing the ship to make up for a sin of the Alpha Quadrant and stupid ass dreadnought is one thing. That's that's Starfleet. Her refusing to let the crazy old man who thinks she's his daughter accompanying her into the prison rescue without weapons. That's solid Starfleet Starfleet heroes, you know, heroics. This I just I can't take it. And it's it's like this episode just exists in a vacuum where she hasn't had to stand at any of the funerals or see any of the injuries or horrors or stolen lungs or any of the other stuff that they've encountered in the terrible Delta Quadrant. Um, I, I think there was better ways to handle this and it, the her making just this. This Girl Scout choice at the end, I, I, I can't wrap my head around it, but anyways. Yeah, let's let's cut to the chase since we're already an hour into this podcast. Yeah. Um, what ha- what you expect to have happen in this episode is ultimately what happens. The, unfortunately, where the way they get there at the end is probably its worst sin, because what Winnie the Q and Tuvok decide to hit on is a last ditch defense of suicide as a viable option is that they need to show Janeway what it's like to live in the Q continuum. And ultimately 
They decide to go to the Q continuum, albeit interpreted through metaphor so that humans could understand it. It's, of course, on a, in a Southern California desert. <laughs> and because even in the Q continuum is in fucking Southern California in Star Trek. i happy it's not a water treatment and plant. They, they try to portray the Q continuum essentially as a joyless, banal, and and firmly completely explored expanse and that Winnie the Q's desire to kill himself is a function of the fact that he has done and seen and experienced everything there is to be experienced in the universe and he should be permitted to essentially explore the last unknown to the Q continuum and that is death that by itself is an interesting sentiment unfortunately it does two terrible things. One, it completely and absolutely contradicts everything that we have ever seen about the Q, specifically Q Prime, John DeLance, and what he does with humanity, which all belayed that there was some fucking point to it, that there was some unknown and evolution that was occurring. This is to suggest that, in fact, none of that was necessary. And then two... The actual timing of the events that Winnie the Q relates suggests they, that things that occurred during the time he was supposed to be imprisoned. So now you've got this fucking goddamn, again, Doctor Who timey-wimey sh- fucking shit happening in Star Trek where Winnie the Q is talking about how, like, when Q was rebelling, which is supposed to be when he was interacting with Enterprise and got turned human, but that all happened recently. Yes. And it's like, not only is what you're saying not working with what we understand about everything we've seen to date with the Q, it's not even working in the fucking episode. What the fuck is happening here? Like, what the fuck are you writers doing? You are. Did you not read the, the, the last fucking 20 pages you wrote? It's making no fucking sense. And this is a big deal, too, because Winnie the Q's speech inspires q prime uh to basically go back to his trickster's ways q prime is very much a company man in this episode uh towing the party line hard and yeah winnie the q's like yeah when you were you know going crazy on the enterprise and all this other stuff uh eight years ago while i was stuck in a fucking asteroid (laughs) being miserable really inspired me and and you were you know my inspiration for doing all this other stuff and creating the entire premise of this episode. So it might seem like a minor point, but it, it knocks the cornerstone out of this entire episode. What did you think about their portrayal of the continuum via this, uh, this borderland town? It alternatively was interesting yet told you too much. Like I said, the premise of immortality being boring because you've done it all is interesting all by itself, but it just doesn't make any fucking sense for the Q because we already know just from everything we've ever seen them do that this isn't the case. You constantly see them be emotional. You constantly see them react to unexpected events. So the, the, what they're fucking setting up in this scene isn't true. And it's never been true literally any time we've fucking seen Q on screen. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Conceptually, as a Star Trek plot idea, immortality being boring for someone, interesting. For the Q, makes no fucking sense. I like the metaphor. I thought it was a good setup. And even though I regret the fact they, again, took the Q continuum and put it right out there in daylight, uh, hurts the Q. I, I did think this was pretty cool. And I did get a genuine deep hearty laugh when they, they're like, oh, you know, I've uh, I've been the lady reading the magazine. I've been the dog. I was even the uh, scarecrow. And then Q1 cuts him off like, please, we've all been the scarecrow. <laughs> I, I get that it's like you're supposed to they're interpreting it through metaphor sure. because it's just it's too alien for them. Sure. And that's the simple. That's how it's been simplified. Yeah. But this would have made so much more sense if you had introduced some other like bored decadent alien immortal race you know like the skeevians or something like them yeah and they've got this fucking problem like and as the for the q it completely contradicts 
everything that we have seen to them, including every moment of this episode up to this point. And if you want to be an apologist for the show and and say, well, it's the Q, they exist outside of space time in a traditional fashion. So everything here makes sense because it could have happened both now and 300 years ago. Be my fucking guest. I will find you the deepest, dankest Doctor Who Tumblr and you can just splurge all your fucking nonsense all over them and they will be your brothers in arms. But Star Trek tries to fucking make sense. And it was a big fucking deal when the last episode of TNG is humanity figuring out this cause, you know, causation loop that they are themselves responsible for on accident. That they were able to unlock a piece of their understanding so that they could solve the puzzle, which was Q's whole fucking point, that they need to start thinking like that. Mm-hmm. This is just going down a fucking rabbit hole that just makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. And again, it's a shame. Because there are some outright enjoyable scenes, conversations, jokes, and John Delance Q moments in this episode that make it fun to watch it. It's not a drudgery to me. Mm-mm. But the fucking shit at the beginning and this fucking shit at the end just not only ruin the episode for me, it does so much damage to the Q from this point forward. I'm afraid to see where it's going to go from here because I I can really see some some large foreshadowing at the end. Ultimately, uh, Janeway obviously sides with uh, Winnie the Q. She does take, you know, the easy ride home that would have cost her nothing but a a spared life and throws it in the trash for whatever fucking reason you want to try and pass off. And uh, they decide to, you know, declare an asylum on the ship. Q doesn't just renege on his agreement and bear down uh, with the force of the continuum and whisk this guy away to override whatever this Delta Quadrant Federation ship courtroom has decided. And they've uh, added him onto the Q roster, I think, as the name Quinn or something. And there's a good conversation with, uh, I don't know if it's Chakotay or Tuvok and Janeway, about where they're going to sign this guy. And it's uh, it's neat because... When Q lost his powers back in TNG, and again, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the old collectible card game that Decipher made. The Q card had something like astrophysics times 10, physics times 10, times times 10, like just these unrealistic stats because they knew so much. And and Q had alluded to it in um, his old episode where he comes up with some great physics workaround or whatever their problem of the week was. Right. And the oh, you know, if we put him in astrophysics, you know, we can just get rid of the entire department. This guy can basically carry the ship on his own. But unfortunately, they get a phone call from the doctor uh, that uh, this guy is on his deathbed, that he has ingested some sort of poison to which there is no there's no uh, antidote. Uh, there's no mention of his necromantic ability to bring back the dead. <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> Which would have been totally within the scope. And and scope is an important thing in Star Trek. I think Star Trek keeps a narrow scope most of the time. That's why these Q episodes get us yelling the way they do, because Q are so outside of the scope of what Star Trek should be. The fact that Star Trek usually handles them well, gods and magic well, is a real feather in its cap. And, and it's dangerous when you lose control of it. And that's, I think, where we're going to end up seeing this go. But they're like, you know, uh, he you know he goes oh hey uh, thanks for the offer but uh, I would have just been faking it anyways uh, so long and thanks for all the fish and then Jane was like ah damn uh, where did this poison come from because you know we don't have any on hand Tuvok drops some hot Federation tech insider that the phasers will not replicate poison I'm sorry not you the mean phasers, the, the replicators <laughs> womp womp on that <laughs> the phasers don't replicate poison the phasers replicate burning. Uh, And where did this guy get this poison from? Well, none other than Q Prime, who has been inspired by this guy's rebellion, who has, uh, you know, rescinded back into his trickster's ways. He is no longer the company man we had been led to believe. And uh, he is going to return to the continuum uh, infected with uh, with free thought and uh, and rebellion. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it ends. Um, That's unfortunately not a good not a good place to end uh the results of 
this this particular episode won't be felt for a bit, but when they are, we'll all suffer together. Um, did you happen to have a rule of acquisition? They're getting real hard here, man. Let me uh, let me give you what you got. Uh, Q and their uh, forever golden omnipotence and uh, longevity. Nature decays, but last, but latinum lasts forever. It's a stretch, but it's the best I got right now. Yeah, uh, we need to find a new shtick at the end. That was definitely a stretch. Yeah. Well, there's always a rule of acquisition number 112. Never have sex with the boss's sister. You want to go with that one instead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in honor of Dragon Con, you know. Yeah. So what's next? What's our what's our I'm next back. episode? Uh season 2 episode 19. We got uh the doctor working at his uh computer and Kess in the background. Life signs. The doctor saves a Vidian dying from the phage by placing her consciousness in a holographic body. And he thinks he's fallen in love with her. It's actually a pretty good one. So at least I remember it being good. It looks like some more very dangerous adventures into AI and holography, hologram technology. I look forward to seeing where this goes. It's a it's a doctor centric episode, so it's usually a good sign. You know, we get more Robert Picardo, the better. We barely get anybody outside of uh, Tuvok and Janeway in this episode. It's uh, basically f- one one or two lines apiece for everybody else, and that's it. You don't bring fucking Q on set and then, you know, waste time that he could be on screen with Harry Kim. Yeah, true story. And that was a wise decision. Yep. All right, man. Thank you for enriching us with your Dragon Con experiences. Thank you. Uh, to all of our wonderful fans. And of course, let us not forget to say congratulations on a successful engagement for Ian and Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. So the the, the musicians and their very first uh, collaboration as a couple who put together our lovely theme song, uh, they're getting hitched. They're getting hitched. They got engaged uh, this past weekend. And Ian, Sarah, we love you guys. Thanks again so much for being such big fans of the show. And, of course, uh, your contribution to it. And, Which should uh, totally be your first dance, your first song as a married couple is that sweet-ass Voyager recorder intro. 100% obviously yes. Uh, nothing has been more – nothing could possibly be more romantic mm-hmm. uh, than that. So uh, agreed, sir. And on that note – Thank you for listening to Vija, please. The hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And we will see you next week. Peace. Peace.